I'm reading this morning from Romans chapter 2, verses 17 through 29. Now you, if you call yourself a Jew, if you rely on the law and brag about your relationship to God, if you know his will and approve of what is superior because you are instructed by the law, if you are convinced that you are a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in the dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth, you then, who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You who say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor idols, do you rob temples? You who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. Circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you have become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you who, even though you have the written code and circumcision, are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he is one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart, by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. I'm sure many of you have seen or seen references to the show House. If you've watched it, you know that it's about an obnoxious doctor who always is confronted with a medical mystery. And he and his team try to figure out the proper diagnosis, and they make many wrong diagnoses along the way and try different treatments until the end when they either come up with the right diagnosis and the right treatment and save the person or, at least as occasionally happens, they don't and the person dies. You see, it's pretty important that you come up with the right diagnosis. Kevin O'Neill just had surgery on Friday to remove a cancerous tumor from his face. If they had not diagnosed that properly, they would not been able to do the proper treatment to take care of that. Well, in our study through Romans, in this section we're going through, 118 through 320, it's a diagnosis that Paul is making of the human heart, the human life. And he's diagnosing what our problem is. We struggle, you know. You look at humanity and you say, wow, we can do a lot of good things, and yet we do a lot of harm to one another as well. There's something wrong. There's something twisted with every human being, including myself, on the face of the earth. And unless we understand the proper diagnosis, we won't deal with it properly. We won't apply the right treatment. We are spiritually sick. But God, in his great love of us, gives us this passage to help us understand the proper diagnosis of our problem and what the proper treatment is. So we can get the help that all of us need. Now, in 1, 18 through 32, the end of chapter 1, we saw that 
The real problem with every human being is that we've rejected God. We've chosen to go our own way. And once we do that, our hearts and our minds are darkened and we end up choosing foolishness. We end up in trouble. But the real issue is our rejection of God. And therefore, we deserve judgment. We are separated from God. We have a cancer of the soul that needs to be dealt with. But Paul has given us the good news. And as we go on, we'll see the good news. The gospel, the good news, and the good news is for sinners. But to receive that, we need to recognize that we are all sinners. But part of the problem is, though theologically we know we're sinners, all of us, probably, we've been taught well, there's something in our hearts that really doesn't believe it that just thinks, you know, if I can just clean up my act a little bit, I can be okay. I can be acceptable to God. I can make this happen. If, and deep down we believe this, like a person who has cancer, but thinks, well, I'll just handle this through diet and exercise, and, you know, I'll take care of it myself. Well, we're kind of like that. So in chapter 2... Paul addresses that attitude, that sense of, you know, I can pull this off myself. I can deal with it myself. I can get right with God through my own efforts. And this is part of our fallenness is we all try to do this. We try to treat our spiritual fallenness, our condition, ourselves. And there's two main ways we do that. By being good... Or by being religious. Being good or being religious. David Roper talked last week about the first section of chapter 2, which deals with our attempts to be good. You see, Paul understood all of this because he had tried both. And many of us have. In fact, most of us try these two things. And I certainly have myself. But Paul knows they don't work. And that's why he wants to pinpoint those attempts to deal with life ourselves. So again, the beginning of chapter 1, David Roper talked about our attempts to be good through the law. If I can just follow the rules, if I can just clean up my act, if I can just work hard enough, I can be good enough to gain God's acceptance. And we all pretty much at some point, unless you just know I'm a mess, I'm a sinner, and I need grace, period. You know what? That's wonderful if you're there. But many of us don't go there very easily. We think, oh, come on, I can clean up my own life. (laughs) So we work hard to do it. But as David said last week, our attempts to clean up our life are like trying to jump across the Grand Canyon. We're not going to make it very far. In fact, we're going to hit bottom really fast if we think somehow I can clean up my own life and become presentable and acceptable to God. So the law can't help us. David made that clear last week. What about being religious? Well, that's our passage today. The other way we try to make ourselves right with God, receive his righteousness, to be right with him and with ourselves and with others, is being religious. Religion is a set of beliefs and practices that guide us in how to relate to God, how to receive His favor. That's religion. It's 
man-centered. It's our attempts, our beliefs, our practices that we use to try to get right with God, to clean up our own act. It's essentially a recipe that we put in the right ingredients and do the right things so that we can get on God's good side. But as we'll see in our passage today, religion can never make us right with God. It can never work. And yet, we keep trying. <laughs> I remember when I was a brand new believer, I mean, literally a few weeks old in the Lord, 17 years old. And some friends said, come with us to this play. It was a group that was traveling around, a Christian group. And they were trying to communicate truth through this play. And in this play, there was a door for heaven and a door for hell. And much of the play was the discussions among the people that were waiting to see which door they were going to get through. Two of the main characters were a woman who was clearly a fine, wonderful, upstanding lady involved in her church, had been for many years, tithed a lot of money, served in the children's ministry, cared for people. I mean, just the epitome of righteousness. Her maid was there also, and her maid was just a, a broken, hurting lady who uh, knew that she was a failure, knew which door she was probably going to get through, <laughs> but trusted, Lord Jesus, I, I'm clinging to you. Well, I remember as a new believer being shocked when the religious lady ended up being sent through the door to hell. And this servant lady ended up going to heaven. I was shocked because in my thinking, in my immature thinking, it's the religious people that God wants. He wants us to be religious. And you know, all my life I've been battling that attitude that somehow that's what God wants. And I think many of us battle that. So Paul challenges that in our passage today. So let's look together, Romans 2, verse 17 and following. He begins by describing a Jew and the things that the props that a Jewish person would rely on to feel like they're okay with God. Verse 17, now you, if you call yourself a Jew, in other words, I belong to the Jewish race. I've been born a Jew. I'm part of the Jewish race. I am part of the people of God. The Jews were the people of God. If you rely on the law, and brag about your relationship to God. In other words, I've got the law. I seek to fulfill it. God has communicated to His people, the Jewish race, the Torah. He's given it to us. And we rely on that and we seek to fulfill that. We seek to do what we can to live that out. And we boast in our relationship with God. We brag about the fact we know God. We're God's people. The rest of the world's in darkness, but we know Him. If you know His will and approve of what is superior because you were instructed by the law, because we have God's communication to us, we know what His will is and we know what His will is not. We can discern what's right and wrong because we have the law. If you're convinced you're a guide for the blind, a light for those who are in dark, an instructor of the foolish, a teacher of infants, because you have in the law the embodiment of knowledge and truth. Everyone else, if you look at this closely, is blind, in the dark, foolish, and immature. But we have the truth. 
we have the embodiment of the truth that everybody needs. Now, if you think about it, being chosen as God's special people, as the Jews were, and receiving the law, the Bible, that gives God's will and discernment, those are wonderful benefits of being a Jew. But the problem is the Jews were relying on those benefits rather than on God to maintain their right relationship with him. And that's a tendency for every one of us. You see, that's what being religious is all about. Religion can't save us, but we fall into religion. And religion is saying, you know what? I'm okay with God because I belong to a church. I've gone all my life. I was born into a Christian family. I read the Bible. I go to Bible studies. I go to BSF. I go to growth groups. I go to precepts. I've studied the word. I know God's will. I understand what he wants. I'm discerning about what's right and wrong and the rest of the world out there isn't. (laughs) So I can be a teacher of the rest of the world. Do you see the parallel? I must be okay with God because I belong to a church. I'm a Baptist. I'm a Methodist. I'm whatever. Fill in the blank. You see, that's our tendency to feel like somehow if we do certain religious activities, if we're part, if we belong to the people of God, then somehow we must be okay before God. And this is something we all tend to fall into. But like the Jews, what Paul is pointing out is actually religion does not make you okay with God. In fact, religion too often separates you from God. Think for a minute who the most religious people were in Jesus' day. The Pharisees, right? They followed the law to a T as best they could. And yet, who did Jesus have his most conflict with? Who did he have to keep confronting and say, you're missing it. Your religion can't help you. Being religious is not what God wants. And that's the same message he gives to us. You see, Jesus so longs for us to know him and come to him with open hands and not try to rely on anything we do, either being good or being religious, to be right with him, but to simply rely on what he did for us on the cross. That's where life is, not anywhere else. There's great advantages to being in a community of faith. There's great advantages to knowing the word. There are great advantages to being part of the body of Christ, being involved. But none of that religiosity makes us right with God. None of it. And if we start mixing that up, we'll be in real trouble. It's natural, though, for us to depend on these things. I wonder, deep in our heart heart of hearts, if... I would ask you, when you stand before the pearly gates someday, (laughs) what would you say, what would be a reason for why God should let you into heaven? I've just heard many people who were part of the Christian world say things like, well, I've gone to church all my life. I've been in a good church. I've been well taught. I know the Bible. 
But see, those things can't ever get us into heaven. Those things aren't the things that God's looking for. Religiosity can never make us right with God. And he goes on to tell us that now in verse 21 and following. As he points to these Jews, but also ultimately to us, And he says, you then who teach others, do you not teach yourself? You who preach against stealing, do you steal? You say that people should not commit adultery, do you commit adultery? You who abhor abhor idols, do you rob temples? You see, Paul's saying, um, you say the right things, you religious people. But what does your lifestyle really show? You see, God's unimpressed by all our religiosity. (laughs) Look at all the things I've done. Look at the ministries I've done. Look at how I've been to church. Look at my perfect attendance record. Look at all this. And God's thoroughly, completely unimpressed. Because that's not what he's looking for. In fact, what he says here, what Paul's saying is he said, he says, you know, you teach others and all that, but let's really look at your behavior. Ultimately, let's look at how you live your life. Now, you're religious, but okay, the law says, let's just pick a couple. What Jesus said are the greatest commandments. Love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Okay, two main commandments. Ask yourself, how well am I really doing with those? Forget the religious stuff and how often you have your quiet time and all those things. Just ask yourself, Let's just take the second commandment. Let's not even go to the first. How well do you really love your neighbor as yourself? Now, I know for me, I look at my own life and I think, if I'm honest, I love myself more than anyone else. I mean, I always make sure that I'm well-fed, that I'm reasonably well-dressed. My wife helps me with that that I'm warm and comfortable, that my needs are met, that, you know, my energy primarily goes into taking care of me. That's what it means to love yourself. Now, do I love other people as much as that? That's what Jesus asks. I've got to be honest, folks, I don't. I think God uses me to love other people, and that's great. But you know what? I don't, I don't love other people as much as myself. And I think if you're honest, you don't either. So... Our behavior really betrays the fact that we don't keep the law. We we may say we know God's will and all, but we don't really keep it ourselves, purely, completely. Because religious religiosity can never make us good. It can't make us right with God. And that's kind of his point here to the Jews and to us. It can't make us good. In fact, religion, ultimately what it does is it makes us fall into prideful hypocrisy or condemnation. Okay, the sense of, okay, I'm keeping the rules because we're only focusing on a few of them, you know, that are keepable. And we look and say, I'm doing pretty well. I'm great. And I'm a lot better than look at those people. They're not doing as well as I am. And so... People look at us as hypocrites or we fall into condemnation. Gee, I should be keeping all the rules. I I feel guilty a lot because I'm not. I didn't have my quiet time today. Oh, no, I got to make that up. And, you know, maybe I've got four demerits. How do I make those up? And 
That's living by religion. And we feel condemned. You see, religion can't make us right. It can only break us, ultimately. It can't lead to true righteousness. It can't lead to being right with God. And this was very sobering to me when I realized this. Religion is, in fact, a way of rejecting God. Now, think with me about this for a minute, because it's very important. If we're going to get the right diagnosis of our own hearts, we need to realize religion is a way of rejecting God. Religion is a way of saying, you know, God, you and your cross aren't quite enough. I'm going to find a list of rules I can follow, being religious, doing the right religious things. So I don't really I won't really need you. I'm going to do it myself. And when we fall into that, and again, it's a natural human tendency, we're actually rejecting God and his grace. And we're trying to do it ourselves. And then it's very sobering because he says this, verse 23, you who brag about the law, do you dishonor God by breaking the law? As it is written, God's name is blasphemed among the Gentiles because of you. You see, when we try to live by religion, we end up breaking it and we end up dishonoring God. People look at our lives and they say, they say they're doing it all right. They say certain things, but they're hypocrites. They're hypocrites. Like the bumper sticker that says, Lord, save me from your followers. Maybe you've seen that one. There's a sense that people have that we, religious people, what they do is lay down laws for themselves and everybody else, but then we don't really keep them. We just judge other people. If we're being religious, that's what we tend to do. There's a book I've been reading called Unchristian. It's put out by the Barna Group, Barna, who does many surveys. Um, Really interesting. And this book, Unchristian, analyzes the thinking of the up to 29-year-old group. And one of the questions they asked in a survey they took is this. Here are some words or phrases that people could use to describe a religious faith. Please indicate if you think each of these phrases describes present-day Christianity. Okay, so these young people are going to give what they think Christianity today is like. The word that they picked out the highest was anti-homosexual. 91% of them said, yeah, that's what a Christian is, anti-homosexual. 87% said judgmental. That's what a Christian is today, judgmental. Third on the list at 85% was hypocritical, saying one thing but doing another. So the younger generation out there, unchurched people, they look at Christians today and they say, oh, this is what they are like. Anti-homosexual, it's what we're against. Judgmental of others and hypocritical. That's sobering, isn't it? But that's exactly what Paul's saying here. When we fall into religion, when we live religiously, this is what we communicate to others. Now, here's a really sobering part of that, because you think, 
okay, well, they've been taught that by the media. You know, they don't really know any real Christians, so whatever. Well, here's another question. How many of you in this group of people, thousands of people in this survey, know a Christian personally? And they define Christian as someone who is seeking to follow Jesus, who is born born again, you know, that whole category, okay? How many of you know a Christian personally? 84% said, we, I know a Christian personally. And then they were asked, okay, of you 84%, how many see a difference in lifestyle between your Christian friends you know and non-Christians? How many see any significant difference in lifestyle? 15%. So what the young generation is seeing is that, wow, Christianity, it's, they're judgmental, they're hypocrites. They say one thing, but they don't live it out. And Paul says when we live religiously, that's what happens. It dishonors God and it blasphemes him before the world. The world does not get an accurate picture of who God is when we're so concerned about living religiously. Religion doesn't work So no matter how involved or religious you are, it can't make you right. It can't help. And in fact, it actually dishonors God. So what does God really want from us then? If religion won't work, well, he goes on to tell us. And of course, the answer comes later in Romans especially, but it gets highlighted here in these next couple of verses. Verse 25 and 26 say circumcision has value if you observe the law, but if you break the law, you become as though you had not been circumcised. If those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? Now, the sign of being a covenant person for the Jews was circumcision of males. And what Paul's saying is, uh, let me just remind you, What I've been saying, religious affiliation, following religious rules, is not enough. In fact, that's not really what God wants. The only thing that God wants, ultimately, is a circumcised heart. Listen to the next couple of verses. The one who, excuse me, verse 26, if those who are not circumcised keep the law's requirements, will they not be regarded as though they were circumcised? The one who is not circumcised physically and yet obeys the law will condemn you, who even though you have the written code and circumcision are a lawbreaker. A man is not a Jew if he is only one outwardly, nor is circumcision merely outward and physical. No, a man is a Jew if he's one inwardly, and circumcision is circumcision of the heart by the spirit, not by the written code. Such a man's praise is not from men, but from God. He says, let me redefine a Jew for you. A Jew is not one who's been born a Jew and who's been circumcised, who belongs because they've followed certain religious rules. A Jew, which is, one of the true people of God, he redefines it here, is one who's been circumcised of heart. Not outwardly, but there's been a change in your heart. You've got a new heart. The old has been cut away and you've been given new life. He says, by the Spirit, 
not by the written code. Religiosity is living by the written code. Give me a rule to keep. But what God's looking for is a heart that has learned to trust in him. That has come and said, how do we get that new heart? Lord, I am helpless. I've got cancer (laughs) and I can't take care of it. And I can't be religious enough. I can't be good enough. Lord, I'm coming to you with open hands and say, only you can save me and circumcise my heart. And when we do that in our brokenness, he comes in and it's not easy. It's a painful process, but he circumcises our hearts. He begins to cut away that dependence on other things besides God. Our religiosity, our self-dependence, our turning our back on him and begins to transform us from the inside out to make us people who can depend on him. And when we begin to do that, when we begin to do that, people look at us and they say, here's a person who's struggling, whose life isn't together. But you know what? They know God. I see God in their life. I see them beginning to trust him and depend on him. And and there's something attractive. I don't feel judged by them. I feel drawn in to want a relationship with God too. You see, that's what God wants and that's what honors our Lord. Only a new heart pleases God and glorifies Him. It doesn't make us keep the law perfectly. It doesn't ultimately make us more religious. It simply connects us to Him in a way that allows Him freedom to change us from the inside out. So what can make us right with God? Only him. And I will admit to you, I'll confess to you, (laughs) I've spent many years trying to earn God's favor. And I still fall into that at times. I can feel guilty if I'm not religious enough. But I think over the years, God has broken me in a way and begun to cut away things. And I think I'm getting glimpses of what it means to really delight in him and what he's done and not be so focused on me and what I'm doing. That is the freedom that God wants each of us to have. How does it come? Through turning to the cross, the cross of Christ, turning to him and receiving freedom and life from him. Knowing we're desperate, knowing we've got spiritual cancer, And saying, Lord, thank you for the surgery that you're doing in my life. Thank you for the cross. Thank you for life as a gift because I can never earn it.